Well, tonight we are continuing in Exodus chapter 21. If you want to go to the app and grab the verses, you're welcome to do that. If it's not on the Calvary Chapel app, you can go to the app store to the Words of Encouragement app. Just type in Brian Newberry and you'll get there. I think they're in the church app as well, though. And uh, we started into chapter 21 last week. And Lord, we ask now in Jesus' name, you'd open our ears to hear all that your spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So as we're looking at these civil laws, they don't all work perfectly into the civil laws of our system. And, and that's okay. That's, that's sort of expected. But this is a historically accurate law given by God for the children of Israel, why God is king, the priest were, the Levites were the priest, and you didn't have people that were just over the spiritual issues. You had those same people very much a part of the civil government as well. I'm not saying it's good, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying this is what it was at this time. So not everything applies. And, and, and again, it bothers me when people read some obscure thing and they go, wow, it's a good thing I don't believe in the Bible. And uh, it's like, dude, it, you don't understand what's going on. That's historically accurate information. It's not commanding you today in the New Testament uh, to do that. A matter of fact, um, we will discover the parts of the New Testament, or the parts of the Old Testament laws that do apply to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they were literal. In the New Testament, they're spiritual. So in the Old Testament, if a guy married his father's wife, his stepmom or whatever, he would be put to death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he's just excommunicated from the church until he repents, and then we brought him back into the church. So it wasn't killing him, stoning him to death. It was simply excommunicating him from the body until the Lord put his heavy hand on him and his flesh was destroyed that his soul might be saved. And, uh, and so, again, there, there, we'll look at these things as we continue on through. But last week, we looked at the first six verses of Exodus 21 on the concept of Jewish slavery. Again, God did not want this. He did not create this. This was entrenched in their culture. And there are certain things that God didn't want in it, but they would just pack up and leave. So he bent the branch as far as he could without breaking it. And so there are issues that he just regulated them in such a way they would just on their own dissipate. For example, polygamy. For example, the, the issue of divorce. And uh, here with having slaves. And again, if you remember, it wasn't a slavery like the United States or as in a huge part of the world today. There's more slaves on earth today than ever before in human history. But um, it was a set time. There was regulations for only six years after that. They went out rather wealthy. And um, also, um, it was set down that the slave had an option. 
to say, I don't want to leave here. This is great. I'm the best version of me under this. And of course, the New Testament takes that and says, that was Jesus. He was the bond slave of his God. And we now have the opportunity to be bond slaves of Jesus Christ. Forever out of love, serving God, because under his authority is the best version of us. As we submit unto Jesus, we find that we are the most fruitful and we never want to leave that place. Well, going on in verse 7, it's talking about slavery again, but not really. Um, and and just, just understand that this just happens sometimes. When you go from one language to another, the, the language you're translated into just doesn't have words. They just don't exist. And so you have to make up a word. And how you do that is you transliterate it. I, many years ago, the Wycliffe was, I can't remember exactly where, but all, all they had was llamas. And the missionaries would say, oh, it's, they're just like you guys do llamas. It's what sheep are, but they're sheep, not llamas. And, uh, and so the Wycliffe translators had to leave for some time. And they left the translating the Bible up to these people that were doing it. And they came back, and everywhere the word sheep was, they put their, their word for llama. And uh, they're going, no, 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 you can't do that. <laughs> um, we just have to transliterate it. And so here you just sort of have the word slave used or servant used for every scenario. But when you really look at it, it's, it's not really the best word in this case. And so we just look in context, and, and a specific word takes on meaning in that context. So in verse 7, if a man sells his daughter. Now right there you say, what? Who in the right mind would do that? Um, well, it's still pretty much practiced today in the Arab culture. Um, the, the, the woman is not equal to a man. And um, she is just a property to be changed and exchanged. I know uh, when I was in Israel and my daughter Renee at the time was like 15 and, and uh, there we were at a place and a guy pokes me in the side and he said, you know, 40 camels for your daughter, you know. And, uh, and uh, of course, you know, he looks serious, but you know, I know this is just part of the tourist thing, but Renee, I mean, she, she even today is like, whoa, that was close. I said, yeah, it's a good thing. Good thing he didn't say 45 or, you know. But uh, it's still in their mindset very much. So um, again, if you, if you are a part of a caste system, we don't have a caste system here in America, but if you're in a caste system where you can never get out of your caste, you can never get out of the lower realm of the caste, um, again, this was a way to improve the life of your daughter by marrying her, are, are, you know, giving her over to a family that will pick somebody in the family to eventually marry her. But typically, it was for the guy himself that was purchasing her. And so she would become, quote unquote, a female slave. She shall not go out as the male slaves do. So it's really not the same. If she does not please her master, who has betrothed her to himself, then he will let her be redeemed. So she is purchased for one reason and one reason only, to be a bride to someone in the family. 
But as it turns out, it's like, yeah, we're, I'm not going to marry you, and there's none of my sons are going to marry you either. Then she's free to leave. Now, in that case, he's, he's going to just lose the money on the deal because it didn't work out for her to marry somebody in the family. He cannot sell her to a foreign people since she has, he has dealt deceitfully with her. So he didn't go through with his end of the bargain by getting her married into this family. So therefore, she's free to go home. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughter. So it's equal as if it was just anybody else's daughter, even though the daughter, this particular gal was a slave to his dad, she was not unequal to the treatment of all the daughters that man would have. She just becomes one of the daughters in that guy's family until she is married. Now, if he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, her marriage rights. Again, this is polygamy. He can't uh, treat her less in the future. And if he does not do these three for her, then she shall go out free without paying money. So the deal has been broken because he has not uh, respected her in the way it should be. Again, does God want this? No, he's regulating it. He's putting regulations on it where a lot of guys are going to go, yeah, I just, I'm not going to buy any women anymore and see if it works out. This is just not a good deal. But again, out of concession, God allows them to keep some of these traditions that eventually would leave the Jewish culture. Well, in verse 12, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Premeditated murder. The Bible throughout is quite clear on capital punishment. Why is this? Because if you don't have a punishment that fits the crime, that crime will escalate. It will continue to go. And eventually it's like, I want to kill the guy. So my odds are still pretty good. One, they got to figure out it's me. Two, I get to roll the dice with the jury and get a slick lawyer to come up with some other scenario that makes me look guilty. And then I might get 25 years to life, but half of that's on good behavior. So 12 years in prison, yeah, it's sort of worth it to me to, to give it a try. I, I still think it's probably 60% in my favor that I'll never get caught to begin with or get become found guilty anyway. So people are consciously or subconsciously are, are rationalizing in that way. Well, let's understand what laws do. Laws do not make good people better. Okay? You see in the 55 mile an hour sign on the freeway, it doesn't make you a better driver. All it does is suppress the evil, lust, greed, selfishness that uh, we have the impulse to do. So we all have criminal impulses at times. We all get mad enough to just want to grab the bat and hit somebody over the head with it. We all have moments of greed. I mean, we're all equally sinners. There's no sin that's not common to all man, the Bible says. 
But, you know, obviously we as believers have the Holy Spirit in us and God's Holy Spirit would be greatly grieved and, and we would have to wrestle with the conscience uh, in a different level. And, and if you've been there where you've done something that you shouldn't have done and you, you're grieved and, oh, just, I feel so yucky, you know, until you just finally got to feel like I got to confess my sins one to another and pray for another because I'm healed because I can't keep this thing secret and, 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 and continue like everything's fine. I'm breaking down uh, under the weight of, of this guilt. But not the, all the world has the Holy Spirit. And so with these impulses, if there's a law that is severe enough to stop anybody from even considering acting on that impulse, then the law can be helpful. And this is what civil laws are for. Now, I just want to make it clear as we study through the civil law of the Torah, no prison idea is ever used. They can hold a guy under arrest for the night, but it starts in the morning, the judicial system. And it, whatever his guilt is, it happens that day. It's not this month and month and month, you know, and, and you say, well, back in the 1500s, it was such a barbaric system, you know, nobody could get justice. Guys, our system today is as about barbaric as you can get. I mean, if they decide you're a person of interest, they can arrest you, put you in jail, and you got to come up with a million dollars bail or $100,000 to a bail bondman, 10% of that. And then it, this thing, you get dragged out for years. And the pressure of that is just life-changing. It's just, it's just people are never the same after being under that kind of pressure for so long. But in most cases, people can't afford it. So they're in prison sometimes for, or in jail, which is sort of more dangerous than prison sometimes, for years. And then it finally goes to court, and then they're found innocent. But what's happened? They've spent years incarcerated, which they weren't guilty, they shouldn't have to begin with, it's probably going to cost you every penny you've ever had. And if your family loves you, they're going to give every penny. So an entire group of family is going to be completely broke financially to try to get you the best lawyer possible. And so you're found innocent. Years of your life have been stressed out, might have been in jail. On top of that, you're broke. And now if you can get over the trauma of this, you try to rebuild your life. Often it costs marriages. Often people still think you're guilty for the rest of your life and treat you like you're a criminal because you were three years in jail waiting for your trial. It's, it's, a, it's a terrifying system even in our country. And I, and I don't care what anybody says, I think everybody in this room would agree if you've got millions of dollars, you have a much, much, much better chance of becoming found not guilty than if you don't. And when that happens, it is a corrupt system. 
Now, I actually know how to fix this. I'm not going to tell you now. But for 1995, no. <laughs> Ask me afterwards. I, I've thought through this a much, you know, it's just my two cents. Probably, probably it's worthless, but I, I do have a, a thought on this. But not for now. We've got to move on. But just to say, the prison systems, for years they'd say uh, reform, it'll reform. They don't even try to say that anymore. They, they, there's nothing reformative about this. But you can take a guy and you put him with a bunch, and you put him in a society that is, is ruled in the most brutal, archaic environment that one can imagine. You're going into prison just wondering if you're going to survive. You will get beaten. You'll get raped. You, you, you know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable that, 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 for somebody to go into that system. Um, and then somehow they're going to be in this prison system where everybody's talking all day about being a criminal and treating you criminal. And you've got to start acting brutal and almost criminal yourself to survive. But you're gonna do that for a period of years and then you're gonna come out like a Boy Scout. You're gonna come out like none of that affected me. It's, it's insanity. And, and if we just look, it's never worked mathematically. England had a prison system. It finally got so huge they took all the prisoners and put them, what we know today is Australia. They just gave them their own, said, all you prisoners, we're not going to watch anymore or feed you. Good luck. Just dump them in Australia. That's what they did. Cuba, remember that a few, just a few years ago? They finally had so many prisoners in Cuba, they put them on a boat and sent them to Miami. This is no joke. And if you just do the math of what it'll look like in 20 years from now, at the rate we're incarcerating people, it's, it's unsustainable. 80% of all prisoners that get out of prison go back to prison for a worse crime. So all we're doing is, is saying, we'll, we'll put you in here for a year or 10 years, 80% chance they'll get out do somebody else worse harm, and then go back in. Again, people mock the Bible. <laughs> but you know what? I, I, I look at this and say, yeah, there's some things that are pretty extreme. But I, I think that our found, well, I know our founding fathers looked at these things and used them as much as they could. And it's documented. But um, Again, I mean, the idea is, well, I don't want to put anybody to death, but I'll put them for life in prison. I don't know about you guys. I, I would prefer to be put to death than to go to prison for life. I mean, I, I just can't imagine that is a good option, as if we're being merciful and kind and helpful. And it's, it's, it's beyond me how insane this system is. But in the case of premeditated murder, it is capital punishment. And this is before the law. It's a principle of God. In Genesis 
It says, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made him. And it tells us in Numbers 35 that if you don't give capital punishment, that you're actually polluting that land or that nation. And that God will judge that nation because they are not giving justice to the, to the, uh, the victims of the, the one that was murdered. So God has some pretty heavy stuff to say on this subject. And again, when you, you, you start getting so out of control, not making the laws, or excuse me, not making the punishment fit the crime, you eventually overwhelm whatever judicial system you have. So a typical DA will have 80 different cases at one time. Maybe two of those in the course of the year they can actually go to court with. So they are expected to plead everything out. It's a game. And so you say, well, you know, but if you, they put that guy to death, he was found innocent. Look, guys, if you have a punishment fits the crime, you have a lot less murders. So now you're trying in the county of San Diego five murders a year rather than five murders a day. And so you can really focus on them and concentrate on them and, and do a good job with them. But when you've got 80 different things, you're, different cases, you're trying to remember names and places and you're getting them mixed up and, and it's, it's just a, a, a factory trying to get them out, get them out, get it. Yeah, all kinds of justice isn't going to happen. All kinds of injustice is going to happen. And um, man, I, I could say a lot more on this. Let's go on, verse 13. However, this is involuntary manslaughter now in verse 13. However, if he did not lie in wait, but delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place, this is going to be the cities of refuge, where he may flee. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor, then it doesn't, the cities of refuge don't apply. And he kills him by treachery, you shall take him from the altar. If he's in the city of refuge, go into the city of refuge, grab him away that he may die. Now in Numbers 35 and Joshua 20, this, this sort of evolves. So God basically says here, I'm going to give you a place. Well, what's that mean? It's, it's enough information for now. But later on in Numbers, he, he says, we're going to set up this number of cities. And there's going to be six of them throughout the country. And actually, they're going to be also uh, the locations where uh, groups of priests are going to be there to oversee those cities. So they're going to be designated places for certain uh, spiritual guidance as well. And then in Joshua 20, he actually names them. They have the cities. They have it laid out. And Deuteronomy, we actually have a story uh, of this playing out. There's a guy who is chopping wood, and he got lazy and didn't sit down to, you know, hit in the top spike to make sure the axe head held on tight. 
and the axe head flew off and hit his best friend in the head and killed him. But again, the culture of this time said that the oldest brother of the family, it was his responsibility to go kill that guy. Even if they're best friends, it was an accident. He's so upset over it, it doesn't matter. To keep the honor of his family, he's got to go kill that guy. That's the law. That was just the way the culture was at this time. Not in the Bible, that's just what happened. So this guy, when he realizes the guy's dead, he just takes off running to the nearest city of refuge. And once he gets in a certain distance from that city, he's safe. But he's sort of under city arrest. He can't leave that city until Joshua 20 verse 6 says, until the high priest dies. And then everybody who's been in these cities of refuge, the high priest dies, they're all free to go back to their hometowns. So a high priest could die the next year or the high priest may not die for the rest of your lifetime. But this is again, God trying to regulate this concept where they had to kill this person even though it was an accident. Well, in verse 15, he who strikes his father and his mother shall surely be put to death. Now, this is again where people say, well, that's crazy, that's extreme. Yeah, I, I think it probably is in, in our culture today. It, it wouldn't be seen as um, justice on any level. Not that it may not be. I mean, but it, but it does stop and, and make us think. Again, this is helping us understand God's sense of justice, equity, what he values. What does he say here? That the authority of the parents is very, very important to me. And... If somebody gets rebellious, a kid does not see eye to eye with his parents, he still has to be very much respected and never disrespected. And then kidnapping. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. So, hey, just uh, keep an eye on that room for me. Don't, don't go look in there. I'll be back in a couple of days. And the people show up, and there's a person in there kidnapped, and you're like, oh, I didn't know I'm watching out for my friend. Doesn't matter. Um, guilty by association in this case. Um, you you should have looked into it. But again, kidnapping, death sentence, absolutely. It's a serious business. And of course, in our day and age, worldwide, it's out of control. Hundreds of thousands of children especially girls, are being kidnapped all over the world, disappearing and never be found again. And again, if, it's, uh, if you're found to be holding somebody under, not under their will, but be, you know, pressing them, keeping them, because we have people bringing, uh, you know, supposedly adopting people and bringing them to the country and treating them like slaves in the house and stuff. It's, it's sick. It's sick. And uh, it's one of those things that, that, again, I think it needs to be very, very severe. And, you know, I'll just stop there and, and make a note. We're going to talk about this later, too. Is this, let's, just, let's just think through this a minute, okay? And I have dealt with this when I'm dealing with somebody who has been sort of kidnapped to a degree, 
or girls that have been raped or people that have been molested by a child molester. And here's the thing. They can't seem to start the healing process because they know at some point in time, the guy's getting out of prison. And here they are at 15 going, in five years, this guy might get out. In eight years, this guy might get out. And they can't sleep. They begin to have the, the, the anxiety of that begins to create all kinds of phobias because they, they can just imagine one day they're with their friends happily down the mall looking and shopping and, and all of a sudden there's that guy that raped them looking at them. I, I, I don't know how you can recover from that. And so again, understand, it's not about the person that did the crime and they have all the rights and we need to be merciful to them and kind of thing. No, we need to ask about the victim. And how is it affecting the victim? And it's clear in my mind, and I've seen it, not multitude of times, but I've seen it enough times to know that when there is a possibility in the future to have to see that person on the streets, in the neighborhood, somewhere, um, they, they cannot rest. They cannot truly even begin the process of healing. So when you guys become Supreme Court judges, some of you guys out there, um, we're uh, hoping you set things straight, okay? Well, um, now in verse 17, he doesn't talk about striking parents, but about cursing parents. He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. So again, you say, well, the striking thing, okay, I, I get that. But if he just like cusses dad out or screams at mom, that's death penalty equally? Well, let's just stop and, and realize from God's perspective, the damage with your mouth is equal to the damage with your fist. And I can tell you, in dealing with abusive situations for children and wives in the home, sometimes it's worse because with the words, you can put them into a black hole that they just never in their lifetime get out. You scar them, something about words. You know, you get a physical scar, you know, you got it, you can ignore it. But when you get an emotional scar, it just rips open and rebleeds. And maybe 10 years from now, somebody says something as equally as hurt and hurtful and that scab just rips open and, and it's harder to heal the next time and the next time and the next time. We, we need to understand the damage of our words. And uh, as believers, the Bible says, let everything we say be for exhortation. James talks about this in James 3, right? Out of one mouth comes salt water and fresh water and... And uh, it shouldn't be. You know, God made our mouths for his glory, for his purpose to heal, not to hurt, to bless, not to curse. Well, in verse 18, now if men contend with each other and strikes the other with the stone, 
and his fist, and he does not die, but is confined to his bed. If he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. He shall only pay for the loss of the time and shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. So I, I, I love this. It, it, we're not going to lock you up in jail. Two guys got in a fight. Well, who, who, who's at the wrong? It depends who you ask. But he basically just says, the loser of the fight is going to get taken care of. <laughs> you're going to pay his wages while he can't work. And then after that, you're going to pay him restitution for any damage you've done. And again, I, I, I think that that's effective. You know, I, instead of saying, well, we're going to lock your, you know, put handcuffs on you and take you down to jail and make you sit there for a few hours and then we'll bail you out for $100 and go home and you get a slap on the wrist and you go to court and they're like, well, don't do that again. Shame, shame, shame. Leave. You know, um, yeah, this, this is going to hit them right where it hurts and they're trying to build up their future and, and, uh, and so forth. Well, if a man beats his male or female servants, in verse 20, with a rod, so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property. So understand that only certain people could own slaves, and typically the, many of the people that became slaves put themselves in slavery. But then there were incorrigible people like thieves and rebellious people that in this culture were forced into slavery. And so the slave owner then at this point in this situation could, you know, get some rebellious 16-year-old kid uh, in his care and he's picking on the other young guys in, in his care and and, and threatening somebody or, you know, scaring people or, or, you know, running away or not acting the way he should, then he's going to beat him. And uh, again, it can't be in a, a way that causes any damage. If he does, he's going to be punished. But again, I, I know with my kids and spanking them, you know, you, you spank them on that buttocks. God created a nice little cushion there, you know. It hurts, it stings, it humiliates, it gets the message without damage. But again, it shouldn't be out of control. It should be in anger. God doesn't get mad at us, <laughs> smack us. It's under a very controlled situation. Okay, I told you if you do that again, you're going to get spanked. So you're going to get spanked. Oh, I'll be good the rest of the day. I'll be good to get you good. It's like, no, no, no. It doesn't work that way. So here's what's happening. Here's what you did. Here's what you should have did. Here's what the Bible says. Okay, you're going to get spanked down. And then afterwards, hug him and pray for him. You see, it can, it can be a very healthy, constructive way. But if it's out of anger and the person gets seriously injured, then no. The slave owner is probably never going to be able to be a slave owner in this community again if that happened. Well, in, in verse 22 now. If a fight breaks out and hurts a woman, so this time you got two guys fighting, but a pregnant woman gets hurt. It tells us there, again, um, this guy who has done this is going to be in serious trouble. Her husband can impose, 
what the payment's going to be. The, he'll, all parties will go before the judges, and the husband will say, this is what I think my wife deserves for what happened, and the judges will determine if that's a fair amount. But if that baby dies, the person dies. That's a death penalty. Even though it was unintentional murder, nevertheless, you killed an unborn baby. It's a baby. And then he says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot, burn for a burn, wound for a wound, stripe for a stripe. So again, notice there, the judges will determine this. Now, why is this so important? Because the time, Jesus' time comes around, they were using this verse saying, you get to do that. So if, you know, you go and poke the guy's eye out. He hurt your eye, you go poke his eye. And Jesus says, you've been told. This is the way they've been teaching it. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I say to you, no. No. That, that's unacceptable. But again, a punishment fitting the crime that was determined by the judges, not by individuals. Well, in verse 26 and 27, if a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. You're saying, well, why didn't, why isn't verse 26 back up with verse 20 and 21? And why was verse 17 on striking your parents? You know, why wasn't that put next to cursing your parents? And why wasn't cursing putting before striking? You know, it's just like, this is not very chronologically laid out. Well, that's the Western mind. The Eastern mind thinks very differently. They might be putting these things in order of, of importance to them. We, we don't know. But for them, they wouldn't get bothered with that. You know, we want to get everything nice and packaged up together and look uh, in a proper chronological order, laying it out. Not so with the Eastern mind. And as you study the Bible, keep that in mind. And so, again, if he hurts them, if he knocks out a tooth in his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. So, again, God doesn't want slavery, but he regulated it. And here he, he is saying... If you've got a rebellious teenage thief that's incorrigible and you think you need to spank him, strike him, punish him to, to tell everybody else not to do what he's doing or to try to help guide him along the way, it can't, it can't do any damage at all to him. It can't leave a mark on him. It can't in any way permanently hurt him. And again, I, I, eventually God is going to say that he hates slavery. He doesn't want slavery. He's not for slavery. But at this culture, he's trying to, to bend him in the right direction. But here in the next 28, 36, if your ox gores someone, that ox will be put to death. And its flesh shall not be eaten, for the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. But if the ox tended to thrust with his horns in times past, and it's been made known to the owner, and he has not kept it confined so that it has killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. If there is imposed on him a sum of money, then he shall pay to redeem his life whatever is imposed on him. 
Whether it has gored a son or gored a daughter, according to his judgment, it shall be done to him. If the ox gores a male or a female servant, he shall give to their masters 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. And if a man opens a pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and the ox or the donkey falls in, and the owner of the pit shall make it good, he shall give money to their owner, but the dead animal shall be his. If one man's ox hurts another so that he dies, then he shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it, and the dead ox shall be also be divided. Or if he has known that the ox tended to thrust in times past, and the owner has not kept it confined, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead animal shall be his own. So again, we just see the, the, the personal responsibility built in there, that you have responsibility for your animal, for where you dig a hole and, and you're thinking about how that's affecting somebody else that may be coming by. And if you do this negligently and somebody dies, you're going to get put to death because this is serious business. Life is real. And we need to understand that, that there are serious cause and effects of what we do and, and what we do when we're lazy and don't want to finish the job or do things right. We, we got to stop and say, hold it. I'm responsible for this hole. <laughs> I'm responsible for this tree falls. I'm responsible, you know, I mean, how many instances do we have on a pretty regular basis about somebody's pit bull, you know, their guard dog at their work, but yet they take it to the park for a walk and it bites somebody's legs, you know, and or mauls somebody or, or something to this effect. And, uh, and then it's like, well, yeah, sorry about that. And they get sued some money, but it, it's not sufficient for, for the negligence that they've done. Well, we are going to end there tonight. I hope to get to chapter 22 also, but uh, you know how some guys can get long-winded on things. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your word tonight as we go line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Just continue to speak it into our hearts and our lives to know your ways and walk in them. Let us hear what justice is to you, Lord. What's equity to you? What's personal responsibility? What's the restitution in, in, in a way? You're, we, as you said, we, your people in the New Testament should be able to judge these matters amongst ourselves and not have to take it to the civil courts. So Lord, give us your wisdom as we hear your heart and your mind in these things. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. amen. God bless you guys.